Welcome back to day two in this special mini-series, Dry Jan Like a Sober Rebel, with me, Louisa Evans. And just to remind you, although I've created this especially for Dry January, all of these episodes will help you in your first month of sobriety, no matter what time of the year. I've written these episodes and they're designed for the sober curious to help you expand and consider different aspects of your relationship with alcohol. And I'm using my knowledge as a therapist and also my experience as someone who's quit alcohol myself. Each day, listen back in for the next instalment. And let's get building a good foundation to your sobriety that you can build on. As I said in the last episode, you don't have to want to go sober forever to listen to this podcast or be at any sort of rock bottom to do this. You could just be fed up of drinking too much and want to reset and reassess your drinking habits. But to do that, you need to approach this sober stint with a can-do attitude. So let's get stuck into day two and how to deal with cravings. You've got the first sober evening in the bag now. And for some, this will have felt easy because it's something they'll have done one or two days in their drinking life. So what we want to talk about now What happens when those thoughts may turn to fancying a drink? In the last episode, I got you to begin journaling and making notes of the thoughts you're having. And I explained how everything first starts with a thought when it comes to the think, feel, act cycle. When it comes to a craving, this is no different. And the first thing I did, and that I suggest other people do, is to reframe the word craving and change it and refer to it as to what it really is. It's a thought, that's all. The language we use to describe things has got such power and a craving sounds powerful, like it's a force you have to resist. Whereas the idea that it's just a thought, it's more objective. It may feel powerful, overwhelming and strong at the time, but at its core, It's just a thought like every other thought that passes through your mind. And as we know, thoughts aren't facts. They're just the brain scanning the situation and then making a suggestion to you as to what it thinks would help or what you may need. But it's your choice as to which thoughts you act on. And let's face it, if you're anything like I was, then you'll be so habitually used to reaching for a drink in so many scenarios that what we need to do is create new habits and to create new neural pathways in the brain, the trigger to the response. So it responds in a different way and it learns a new pattern. When you're in the midst of drinking, it's really hard to imagine a time when you won't want to reach for a drink in certain scenarios, like on a hot day or a stressful day, or to celebrate or going to a party or at a wedding or on a holiday. Those neural pathways are just really well-worn roads. So well-worn that they're like motorways at the moment. It's just the easiest way and easiest route for the brain to travel. You're feeling stressed? Have a drink. You're feeling happy? Have a drink. You're feeling sad? Have a drink. You're feeling bored? Have a drink. So we just need to re-educate the brain. Trigger to response is just a fast and easy way to travel. And obviously you have the added fact that alcohol is addictive and so there will be a need and the brain will be seeking that hit as well. But you're dealing with two different things, the physical addiction 
and the habitual thoughts and patterns. The physical addiction side isn't that long. And I'm not talking about somebody that's a really heavy drinker here. I'm talking about grey area drinking. If you suspect you have alcohol use disorder or you are very heavily dependent on alcohol, then please do see a GP. I'm talking about grey area drinkers and people that want to reassess and change their relationship with alcohol. So having said that, let's look at how we change and create a new neural pathway. And with any change of habit, what you need to do is look to create a new route, which to start with can feel a bit like a dirt track, a new response to that trigger, a new response to what you do in stress or when you're happy or to celebrate or when you're bored. And I will say this is going to feel strange because the original bad habit is the one that feels easier, but stick with it. And actually, this is where things like hypnosis helps. And I will dedicate a whole episode as to how hypnosis and hypnotherapy works. But it's that repetition of the new way of thinking and rewiring those neural pathways. But essentially, what you're looking to do is to create a new response to a trigger. The more times you have a different response and the more often that new response is repeated, then the brain learns a new way to act. It loves patterns. And soon you'll have a new response to stress, to heat, to wanting to celebrate, to anything. The new dirt track in the brain becomes the easier route because it's been repeated enough. And the old response of reaching for an alcoholic drink eventually becomes the never traveled dirt track. But what you do need to do throughout this first month, and I like to think of it like flexing sober muscles, every opportunity you get to say no to that thought you have, to choose a different response, to not have that alcoholic drink is like flexing your bicep. It's like flexing that sober muscle and making it stronger in repetition. So let's talk about in the moment, what do you do when that voice starts to tell you, oh, it'd be so nice to have a drink tonight, even though you've made this commitment to having the break. I've asked many people over this time what they do in that moment. The most common theme to what people say is distract, distract, distract. I would add something to that. Before you distract, just acknowledge that you're having the thought that it would be nice to have a drink tonight while I cook dinner or it would be nice to have a glass of wine because the kids are winding me up, or whatever it is, acknowledge it. Don't push it away. Just say, oh, I notice I'm having that thought. And make it language that's quite distancing, so not, oh, I need a glass of wine because the kids are winding me up. Make it, I notice I'm having the thought that I need a glass of wine because the kids are winding me up. So you're using distancing language. It's, I notice that I'm having the thought You're really reminding yourself it's just a thought in your language. You need to challenge this objectively. The truth is, it is just a habitual thought looking to feed an addiction. So get your journal out or a piece of paper and write down the following. What's going on really? What happened to begin this thought pattern off? Are you stressed or tired? Are you feeling lonely or hungry? There's usually an emotion underneath it. And when you can identify it, you can then find better and more constructive ways to soothe that emotion or to honour it rather than seeking to use alcohol. Emotions and dealing with them in sobriety will be a topic that I come back to later. So let's put a pin in that. But just to mention, we're usually looking to soothe in some way. Just for the moment, write out what's going on. 
Are you bored? Then I want you to write out what you can do to soothe whatever feeling you're having. If you're bored, can you look up a film or a TV show that you want to watch? Do you need a bath and an early night? Boredom isn't a bad thing, but that's something we'll come back to. If you're stressed, then listening to something like a relaxation or a hypnosis can help you. And there are so many free ones on YouTube that you can search out. Maybe you need to talk to a friend or maybe it's something really simple like you're hungry. I know that for me, around five o'clock, I would need a kick of something sweet to satiate my hunger because that was actually the time that my body would crave the calories it would start to get from alcohol as I was cooking tea and drinking. A good tip I picked up was to drink fizzy water as well as having a snack because not only is water good for you, obviously, but the air bubbles helped me to feel fuller and tidied me over until I was eating. I also made sure to have other nice fizzy soft drinks like flavoured waters or tonic water in the fridge so they were chilled and I could pour them into a pretty glass with lots of ice and a slice of something and give it a bit of ceremony. I can't remember where I read it now but in one of the many books I read in early sobriety and the many podcasts I listened to I picked up the phrase keep the routine change what's in the glass. So at five o'clock I would have my passion fruit tonic water and I began to look forward to it with a slice of lime and ice in my pretty glass with as much excitement as I used to look forward to a glass of wine. It was my routine. For some people they love the burn of things like gingery drinks and things that have a strong aftertaste and there are some really nice lovely ginger shots about or mocktails that emulate that burn in your throat if that's what you're fancying. The long and the short of it is, is what I've discovered in this sobriety journey is that going alcohol free, even for a short time, actually opens up new drink options to you. So if you're anything like I was, I would always order the same thing as a drinker. Now, if you're out for the evening, plan ahead what you're going to drink. Think outside the box. What do you fancy? Being a drinker, always going for the same glass of wine or pint of lager is actually quite boring when you think about it. And so enjoy the fact that as a sober person, you've actually got so much more choice in front of you. And like one person I was chatting to, have a cup of tea. I know somebody that goes to a pub and loves having a cup of tea and it's brilliant. Once you've acknowledged that you're having a thought that you'd like a drink in that particular situation, you've written down what's really going on and you've come up with an action plan to soothe whatever emotion that you're feeling that doesn't involve alcohol, then it's the time to distract yourself. Get outside and go for a walk. Go and have a shower. Get into your pyjamas. In the early days, if you feel it's that overwhelming, go to bed because it's short-term discomfort. It will pass. Anything to get your sober head on the pillow that night in those early days, you won't have to continue with this level of battling. And some people don't experience that level of battling at all. Whatever happens, when you go to bed sober, you know you're going to wake up tomorrow feeling absolutely amazing. Not just because you're sober and you feel all fresh-faced, but because you fought that voice and you won and you know in fighting it, it gets weaker. I'm not belittling how overwhelming a craving can feel. For some people, they don't really notice them. For others, they sideswipe them and they feel completely overwhelmed. I've been there. If you're sailing through this currently, I'm not saying you're suddenly going to experience this, but I just want to make sure if people are struggling that this podcast does help them too. 
This is all about placing your priority on this sober stint and not allowing any little voice or any thought to have more space in your head than it deserves. You can beat it and it will go. And I remember thinking at the start that I could never imagine how I would cope with this seemingly constant battle in those first few days with these thoughts. It seemed easier to give in to them, but what happened was that it actually wasn't easier at all. I was back at square one or day one if I gave in and then I was feeling lower than ever. And so it was those perpetual resetting days that felt torturous. The minute I'd made that decision, the minute I got my mindset right, the minute I convinced myself I could do it and that I would find it easy, I kept telling myself, this is going to be easier than you can ever imagine. And I began to find it easier, way easier than I was before. So in those moments, remind yourself it's just a month. Then you're going to reassess. You can do a month. Some people love to give that inner dialogue, that voice, a name and a personality. And this is often a technique I use in clinic with any sort of intrusive thoughts. So for someone that over worries or overthinks, the voice could be nagging and overprotective like an imaginary auntie with her knitting on her knee and her glasses perched on the end of her nose. Or for somebody that's putting themselves down or doubting their ability, maybe that inner voice is always criticising them. And for one particular client, she loved Harry Potter. So that voice became Voldemort and she went to battle with him. Give your voice a character that works for you and use imagery because it's a great visual hook for your imagination when you're coming to these little battles. It's not just when it comes to alcohol or wanting a drink or quitting a habit. Everybody's got a voice in their head that's running continuously. A lot of people presume that because it's in their head, it has to be believed, it has to be acted on, that, that somehow it has this power, and it doesn't. I called my inner voice, when it comes to this, the wine witch. And over time, I had this vision of her melting, like the witch on The Wizard of Oz, every time she tried to get me to give in and have a drink, and I refused to. She just shrank and shriveled. She got weaker and weaker, and quieter and quieter. And her voice got higher and higher, actually. Anything that works, everybody's different. So find something that works for you. When thoughts are in our head, negative thoughts feel more powerful than positive ones. So when you're trying to argue in your head back and forth, negative to positive, and you're trying to battle in your head, when they're out in front of you or spoken out loud with a friend, with a therapist or written on paper, it's easier to see the positive one. The positive one feels stronger when it's outside of you. So again, get the pen and paper out, argue with the thought. Will that glass of wine make you relax? Write down the answer, no. It will actually cause your body and mind more stress on a biological level. And psychologically, you'll feel awful because you'll have to reset. So there's no benefit to that wine. And I want to touch on all the various arguments that the wine witch or the beer bitch, as another friend calls hers, over the next few days. So stick with this podcast and we'll find every which way to bat away those arguments, because I can assure you it doesn't last like that. With every argument you successfully bat off, if the same one comes back, it's weaker. If it comes back at all, just remember the phrase, get your sober head on the pillow and keep going. 
If you'd like to find out more about my story, then you can head to my website, louisaevans.com, where you'll find lots of useful links, including a link to my audiobook on Audible. And you'll also find a range of hypnosis and relaxation downloads that you can try at home on there. Use code SOBERREBEL, all one word, to buy one, get one free. You may like to follow me on Instagram at Stepping Into Sobriety. All of the links are in the show notes. Thank you for listening and I'll catch you tomorrow.